4b through 15 is the text today. The sermon title is Better That I Go. We're going to pray, we'll read it, and then we'll preach the passage. Let's pray. Father, we need your grace. We need your mercy this morning. Uh, Last week, in John 15, Jesus told the apostles and told us some things that are really hard. The world's going to hate us, that we are going to be persecuted. And understandably so, the disciples and those who were in the upper room were alarmed and nervous. And Jesus, you reminded them that they're not going to be left alone, that the Comforter is coming, the Holy Spirit is coming. And this morning we get to hear more about that. Help us, Holy Spirit, shine a massive spotlight on Jesus this morning. I trust that you're going to do that. Help us all. God, I pray for clarity as I preach through this. I pray for the children that are in the room, that you would help them understand what they can out of this sermon. I pray that parents' ears would kind of be tuned in to how they can take what's preached and teach it to their children. And uh, God, I just ask that they would be creative with that, that you would help the parents listen not just for themselves, but also their children this morning. And God, I lift up my little boy at home. Um, thank you for him. I ask that you'd just continue to bring Ransom back to health and that, uh, that there would be peace at our home right now um, as well. And uh, for the other situations going on in my family, I'm trusting that you're going to work. And uh, for all of us here, just meet us where we're at. I trust that you will. Your servants, God, we're here. We're listening. Speak. We trust that you're going to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 16, starting verse 4b. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe me, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has has is mine. Therefore, I said that he would take what is mine and declare it to you. The world will hate you. You'll be persecuted. And as I said, those words were hard to hear. If you were in the Upper Room Discord listening to that, if you were here this last week, you would, you would have understood that the words of Jesus were less than comforting. Come follow me and you will be, you will be persecuted, I promise. Uh, Okay, sign us up, Jesus. But then he tells us the Spirit will help you. And today, as previously stated, we're going to continue this discourse. And Jesus is going to continue to bring comforting words after he told them hard truth. And the Holy Spirit is going to do something in two primary, two primary ways Jesus is going to tell them and to tell us. The Holy Spirit is going to do something in the world for them. And the Holy Spirit is going to do something for them as well. So the Holy Spirit is going to do something in the world. And the Holy Spirit is going to do something for the believers, those who are in that room. In the world and in believers. And the Holy Spirit to this day continues to do these things, these activities in the world and in the hearts of believers. 
Look at verse 4b. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So Jesus says the hard things and sorrow begins to fill the heart of the believer, the hearts of the people in the room. Jesus is going away and they're sad about it. We saw this here in a couple chapters before that the believers were sad upon hearing Jesus talking about him leaving. It made their heart hurt. It made them question what's going on. They didn't understand. Certainly if Jesus was the king that we believe him to be, then he would be the king now. And there was confusion that abounded within the people of what, what's going on here. We, we thought he came to establish a kingdom now. So sorrow is filling their hearts. But Jesus in verse 7, after acknowledging this, says something absolutely radical. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Friends, even though you're sad, I'm going to keep talking. I'm not going to stop talking, even though this is hard for you to hear. You need to hear this. I'm going to tell you the truth. Here's the deal. It's better for you. Don't be sorry. It's better for you that I go away, that the Holy Spirit would come. It's better for you. The people in the room, it's better for you. And if it's better for them, it's better for us also that the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus is telling us it is better that the Holy Spirit is inside of you right now, that the Holy Spirit is in this room with us as the people of God, than if Jesus was right here physically present with us. One preacher wrote a book and he called the book, he said, it's better that the Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. This is alarming. And I don't think we really believe this. I really don't. It's hard to understand. It's a given. It's a given fact about this passage. It's hard to understand. How, how is it that the Spirit inside of me working, doing whatever the Spirit's going to do, is better for me than if my, if my arm was around Jesus and Jesus' arm was around me right now? But he says it plain, clear. The Holy Spirit coming is better than Jesus being here in this front row or being here in this pulpit preaching and teaching and talking to us. It's a huge statement. The Holy Spirit's doing something in the world right now. And it's better for Him to be doing this in the world right now than if Jesus would have stayed in this world and had not been crucified and didn't ascend into heaven. And there are two big, huge reasons it's to our advantage that Jesus went away and the Holy Spirit came. Two big reasons. And number one, the Holy Spirit is working in the world, doing something in the world. And then number two, the Holy Spirit is doing something in us. So let's see what these two big reasons for the Holy Spirit's coming. For Jesus' ascension, for leaving, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and the big reason that the Holy Spirit came. Verse 8. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I need to caveat this, because if you bust out your commentaries and you're doing your Bible study and you look up Matthew Henry or look up whoever you look up on, on Bible Gateway or whatever, 
you're going to find that there is not a universal understanding of this passage. The Bible is really, really clear. But sometimes it is hard to understand exactly the meaning of a passage. The Holy Spirit helps us. And then there are times when godly men and women understand things in the Bible a little bit differently. This is one of those passages. This is one of those passages where there is in no way universal understanding of what this means. There's complexities to it. I'm going to give it a shot, but I wanted to caveat it because I could be wrong. I'm going to tell you what I think it means. You go, press in, and study. And here's what I want to tell you. It's not of major consequence if we come to a little bit different understanding about this passage. That's okay. Um, The body of Christ needs unity. We don't have to have uniformity. I've said that before. So we don't have to be Stepford wives around here saying the exact same things, doing the exact same things, with all the inside jokes, all walking around plastically. You know, I'm good, you're good. We're all good. There's some things that we can understand a little bit differently. I'm going to give it my best shot and tell you what I think this passage means. Now, there's going to be great clarity here in a second about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of believers. Okay, The confusion that happens in the the biblical scholar world is about this part of the passage, not about the second part, the first part. So, what does this mean? What is the Holy Spirit doing in the world? Well, three things. It concerns sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what... Verse 8 says, the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then it tells us in verse 9, 10, and 11, it kind of kind of explains this a little bit for us, what he's talking about, what Jesus is talking about. And so I'm going to give it a shot. First, convict the world of sin, verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The world does not believe in Jesus. This is plain in all the biblical testimony. The world does not believe in God. People in the world suppress the truth. And this is your and I's state before we became Christians. We suppress the truth of God as well. Romans chapter 1, that what has been plain, what has been known about God has been plain to them, but people have repressed and pushed down the plain reality of God creating this universe and God existing, God existing. And it's not that there's not enough evidence, but the world simply rejects the evidence and suppresses truth. And they prefer created things. They prefer to be their own God. And this is the state of all of the world. The world does not believe in God. They come from the world, they come from the womb, disbelieving. Disbelieving in God. And so the default position of humanity is not belief or even potential to believe. The, dis, the, the default of humanity is disbelief, it is spiritual death, it is being. In enmity with God, it's being born into sin. It's being a child of wrath. And the Holy Spirit comes and then begins to bring conviction from the inside out to the world in their sin against God. All of us in this room were at one time part of this whole scheme and system called the world. And there was a time that the Holy Spirit came out into this world, into your heart, and began to convict you of sin. Conviction of sin always comes first. People have broken God's law, and the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of this. And so when God's gospel is preached, God's law is preached first to convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit comes along and identifies people and then works in their heart and to convict them to say, you know what, you have broken God's law. And guilt begins Remorse begins to happen in a person. Conviction about behaviors, thoughts, actions, deeds begins to happen. And then there's a shift. Something begins to happen beyond just the recognition of sin. In verse 10, we're told, 
Not only concerning sin, but concerning righteousness because Jesus is going to the Father and you will see me no longer. So the Holy Spirit is not going to simply convict about sin, but in the world, the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict the world about righteousness. Now, think about being in this upper room and you're about to hear uh, even the Great Commission. After the resurrection, Jesus is going to give the Great Commission. And then as the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, these things begin to come back to you. And you remember these things, the things that Jesus had told you in that upper room discourse. And you start to get some confidence because you're given this commission to go out and tell the world. And you're thinking, we're a handful of people. How in the world is this ragtag bunch of people going to go out and affect the world? And here's the deal. Twelve people did not turn this world upside down. God did. And he used God's people to do it, but the Holy Spirit went out and empowered people, and then the world had begun to be turned upside down, not because people are powerful, but because the Holy Spirit is powerful. So the Holy Spirit is going out and convicting people, not just of sin, but also of righteousness, because Jesus is going to the Father. So after a person is convicted of sin... The Spirit turns their attention to the righteousness of Christ, Christ Jesus, and this is simply the gospel message. Conviction of sin and then righteousness. From sorrow to joy. From despair to delight. Jesus died for me. He is my very righteousness when I'm found in Him. And then finally, of judgment. And this is, again, Scholars are back and forth on this concerning judgment in verse 11 because the ruler of this world is judged. Here's my best shot. The enemy, the ruler of this world, is judged. He's defeated foe. He still has some level and measure of authority in this, on this earth and the systems of the world. But rest assured, he is chained and bound. He is not free. He is defeated. And he is so delusional as to think that he can thwart the purposes of God. And he is so delusional to think that he still can overpower God. The Bible talks to us in 1 Peter that he's a a roaming lion lion seeking whom he may devour, that we are to resist him, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The tactics of the enemy, he's he's wily and he is tactful. And he knows how to mirror the still small voice of the Holy Spirit to convince people who don't know the written word that God would have them do something. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and then for those who have been convicted of sin and found in, in Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to teach them now that the ruler of the world is judged. So the, te- the Spirit is teaching new believers that the enemy has been defeated by King Jesus. You do not need to be afraid of the enemy. You need to resist him. You need to fight him. You need to, by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, understand his tactics, but never be afraid of the enemy. Ever. He is a defeated foe. A few weeks ago, I used the image, and I think it's helpful again to consider. There was an article that came out a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, of a man, I believe in Arizona, who chopped the head off a rattlesnake. And the snake was dead, the head was off, he goes down to pick up this rattlesnake, and the rattlesnake, the head bit him, and almost killed him. Because apparently when a rattlesnake's head gets chopped off, that dose of venom is even more than just a normal bite from a rattlesnake. This was a dead snake, 
but it still had a bite. Consider the enemy like that. The enemy still is at work, but he is a defeated foe whom we should never, we shouldn't toy with, but we should never be scared of. Ever. We don't need to be afraid that he's lurking around the corner ready to pounce on us or get us. God has authority over the enemy. The enemy is subject to God. God is not subject to the wiles of the enemy. Do you hear me? The enemy is subject to God. He is not free. Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil. The devil is destroyed now. His fate is sealed. So I think that's what it means. That apparently believers need to know this. You need to know this. Don't be scared of the enemy. Don't go out and do seances and weird stuff like that. But don't be scared of the enemy. So Jesus is telling them, it's better that I go, that the Holy Spirit would come and do these things in the world. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not commissioning you with with just tactics and strategies and plans of, okay, if you'll do this and if you'll do this and if you'll be really entrepreneurial, you can make a kingdom impact in this world. He's saying, no, the Holy Spirit's going to come and do something in this world and help you change this world by the power of God. So the Holy Spirit's going to work in the world. But the Holy Spirit is also going to do a work in them, in believers. And we need to be aware of this. What is the Holy Spirit doing? So let's consider the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Look at verse 12. (coughs) I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority... But whatever he hears, he will speak. Note in this passage the kindness of Jesus. I love this. He knows the time and place for his words. Um, You can be telling the truth and truly beat people over the head with it in exactly the wrong time. And it be right. And crush people with it. Because they're not ready. It doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean people aren't responsible for hearing and responding to the truth. But Bible thumpers are still around. Friends, I've been a Bible thumper. Jesus, in his kindness, knows you know what? There are things to be said, and there's truth that people need to hear. That you need to hear, apostles. But not yet. When the Spirit comes, He'll help you with this. Because apart from the Spirit, this is going to sound like nonsense. You're not ready for this. But when the Spirit comes, He'll help you to understand. I love the kindness of Jesus. He knows the time and place for His words. He knows how to be tactful with truth. And sometimes, holy tact means hacking people off. It doesn't always mean niceties. Sometimes it does mean saying the truth in hard ways in times that people are going to be offended by it. But he's tactful and he knows in the holiest of ways when to bring truth and the way to bring truth. 
He pushed them, to be sure, but not too far. So the Spirit's going to do two things primarily. Number one, the Spirit is going to guide them into all truth. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's going to be this guide, going to help. But then the and, going into verse 13, or the second part of verse, yeah, going into 13, and, or the yeah, end of verse 13, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. So He is going to guide us into all the truth. And he will speak what he hears and declare things that are to come. So let's break this down into these two portions. Number one, the Holy Spirit is going to guide unto all truth. The Holy Spirit will be in us and the Holy Spirit will guide us in ways the Holy Spirit did not guide individuals in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come upon God's people and would lead God's people as a whole, but would not be in individual people. The Holy Spirit did not indwell believers in the way that the Holy Spirit is indwelling us today. And so, the Spirit is going to be inside them and guide them. And let me just ask you this, and this uh, situation that I'm dealing with now requires some tact like this, and requires some leaning on the Holy Spirit, and I'm still learning and growing in this, but when crisis comes, family life, when death comes and you're sitting with a grieving brother or sister, when a difficult ethical question comes up that you don't know how to approach or how to do and you don't, the scriptures aren't plain or clear on what exactly to do in this moment. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? The Spirit is going to guide us and lead us. Am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to move to this city? And the Bible gives us great general truth that we are held responsible for. But then at times, the Holy Spirit is going to come and nudge us and give us some subjective impressions inside of us where we have a, a real strong sense, this is what God wants me to do. I can't explain it. It's from the inside out. But the Holy Spirit is leading me in this direction it's not in opposition to God's Word. It's for His glory and it's for God's honor. It's not for my glory. It's not for my honor. I really believe this is what God is... What, He's guiding you, leading you. He's doing something inside of you. Am I supposed to do this or to do that? Personal direction. Evangelistic direction. The Spirit speaking. Have you ever been sitting at Walmart or sitting somewhere... And this overwhelming sense comes inside of you. Talk to that person. And everything inside of you is like, this is me. I know it's just me. It's just me. I knew the pizza was bad last night. It's just me. And you sit there longer. And I've had this before where I literally chased the people down because I thought it was, I was like, no, this is me, this is me. And they start going off. I'm like, wait! Yeah. Wait, this crazy person running down the road, like, I'm, I want to talk to you about Jesus. You're like, all right. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. People used to call this, you know, in, in recent years anyways, divine appointments. You ever heard that before? Your parents or grandparents or great uncles or whoever, divine appointments. Well, these are moments the Holy Spirit is setting up strategically because the Holy Spirit is guiding you and this other person. Okay. What was it when Curran Bishop, the former pastor here, as I'm on the phone with somebody else with Illinois Baptist, and as I'm on the phone with Illinois Baptist hearing about how they're going to begin to charge us for the facility that we're in, 
when all of a sudden I see a phone call from Kern Bishop. Oh, he's calling. And I call him right back and he said, hey, listen, um, we want to ramp up the timetable here and we want you guys in the building um, like next month. Would that work for you guys? No charge, just cover the utilities. Uh, yeah, that will work for us. Absolutely. We'll be there. We'll put together a contract. Cody, he seems like a guy to go to. Cody, can you come up with a contract? I don't know how to do that, but then somehow in 30 minutes he comes with this professionally. If you need a contract, just go to Cody Moak. He can figure it out. Okay, the Holy Spirit kind of arranges these things where you think, you know what? Okay, other people, non-believers have coincidences as well that could be described as providential and, and whatever. But these things are unusual, and we recognize these aren't just coincidences. God is at work here. God's really doing something here. He is guiding into all truth. I want to give one example from the book of Acts, and there are multiple situations like this in the book of Acts. But if you can, turn there with me quickly to Acts chapter 8, and I want you to see personal evangelistic direction from the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And this is Philip. This is Philip, a great evangelist in the early church. And we're going to look at verse 26 to 40. And I'm going to just read the whole thing, and you'll just get what I'm talking about here. And I want you to notice that the Spirit is going to speak to Philip, and he's going to tell something for, to Philip, and it's personal. It's specifically for Philip. Now, we hear this story, and it encourages us here, but for Philip, this was, this was personal direction for him. Personal. Verse 26 in chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now keep in mind, in a second, where he's reading in Isaiah, in the time of all this, the timeline of all this. It's just amazing. Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Now I wonder, how did he say it? We don't know. It just says the Spirit said it. I think... This is a strong internal impression, I think. I don't think we're talking about audible things here, audible voice here. I think this is an internal impression. I could be wrong. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not its mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is from the Old Testament. And as they were going down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Hey, we're Baptist, right? Here we go. Into the water, Philip... And the eunuch, and he baptized him, and when they came up out of the water, 
The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Imagine what the eunuch was thinking. Wait, where, where'd Philip go? <laughs> what in the world, where's Philip? But the timing in this is amazing. Philip's sitting here. There's a chariot walking by. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah. It's specifically a, 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 a messianic text. And he cries out after hearing him read this passage, What are you reading in there? Do you understand what you're reading? Okay, this is personal direction. This is unique. And this, my friends, is what was expected from the Old Testament that would not just be in Philip, but would be for all of us. The spirit inside of us. And Jesus is saying, based on even situations like this that we see in the unfolding New Testament, this is why it's better that I go away. All of you will have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. Personal, evangelistic direction. This is internal. You can go back to John 16 now. This is internal, I believe. It's, it's a confident impression that this is what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. Now, it needs to be stated and stated clearly. The Spirit never leads or never gives you signs that go against His Word, ever. And this is why it's so important to know the written Word. The enemy and his craftiness comes and whispers in a still small voice as well. And most believers I know, especially in this area, they're really acquainted with the still small voice. At least they think they are. But they're not acquainted with this. And friends, that's backwards. We'll get into that in a second. The internal impressions, it's not the only thing the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit speaks what He hears and gives us the very words of the Bible. And that's what we need to talk about. Although I believe that the Spirit leads us in this way and directs us personally and guides us, and we need to press into that, speaks to our hearts, whispers to us, leading us, nudging us, we need to know about the written word. Because the Spirit is going to come and guide us into all truth, but the Spirit is also going to declare to us the things that are to come, or de declare to them the things that are to come. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, this does not mean necessarily future events that are to come. This means future revelation is coming to the apostles. The rest of the Bible is coming. The rest of the Bible is coming. I'm going to declare to you, the Holy Spirit will declare to you the things that are to come. The revelation that is to come to them. The apostles would go on and write God's word. And the Bible is unlike anything else in the world. We believe that the Bible are the very words of God. The Bible is not a book. It's just a collection of essays or stories or letters compiled that are somewhat similar. And here's what we have. The Bible written by human authors. It's not what it is. The Bible is, is the very words of God. We believe in objective reality and truth. If we lose the Bible, we lose everything. We lose absolutely everything. And the belief that we have in this church and in the evangelical churches as a large is this book, this, the original manuscripts that we have, the New Testament and the Old Testament, we believe they are inerrant. They're very words of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching. Everything in this book is profitable for you. 
everything in it. Not just some of it, all of it. Even Levitical law, even Deuteronomy's lineages, even the stories in Joshua. It's all for us, for our good. It's sufficient for teaching and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete for every good work. And I want to talk to you about the sufficiency of the Bible. The Bible is sufficient for everything that we need as believers or need to know about God to live obediently to Him. Now this may sound in opposition to what I just said earlier, and it is not. If you don't know, okay, let me just say this. If you rarely if ever get a subjective impression from the Holy Spirit, you can still live a godly life. You are not missing out because you have the objective words that the Holy Spirit has written and spoken to you in this book. And there's always people who sense the Holy Spirit more than others. Okay? But this book is the words of God. And if you never have ever in your life a special sort of revelation of God leading you in some particular direction, you're not living a second-class citizen life. God is a speaking God, and here's His words. The Holy Spirit's going to come and declare the things that are to come. The enemy, as stated previously, speaks in the still, small voice. And he tempts believers who don't know God's Word, and he's able to make things sound right. And if you don't know the written Word, you will not have the ability to tell the difference between the Spirit's leading and the enemy's leading. If you don't know the written word, you will not have the ability to tell the difference between the Spirit's leading and the enemy's leading. And you will confidently walk in a direction, and it may be confidently walking in the direction of the enemy. Because you have the Bible, friends, brothers and sisters, hear me say this, and you may be one of those folks who say, I just don't hear God. Yes, you do. God is never silent to you, ever. Heaven is never closed to you. If you're in Christ and you have the Bible, you are never left without a word from God, ever. And as somebody who just said, I believe in subjective impressions and the speaking voice of the Holy Spirit leading and teaching us, I want to hear, me, hear you say this, and we've said this before. If you want to, Hank has said this before, but if you want to hear God speak, really, read your Bible. Read it. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. And what I found in this area in particular, we'll kind of contextualize. Most people that I know locate the speaking voice of the Holy Spirit. They kind of locate the speaking voice of the Holy Spirit outside of the Bible. And exclusively in the still small voice and the signs. So most people I know in this area, and the experiences that I've had growing up in this area, it is revolutionary to understand, wait a minute, this is God's word? I'm not ever left without a word? 
God is speaking to me always at any time I open the Bible? Are you kidding me? He's not silent. God speaks to me. And friends, I've found and even and talked with people that it's just simply revolutionary. You mean God's word is actually God's words? Yes. You're never left without a word. Ever. Open up and get acquainted with these words. What's the central point of all this? Because the Spirit is going to guide them so that the application to the upper room discourse has implications for the apostles and implications for us. And the Spirit is still our guide. But the Spirit is not doing for us right now the same thing He did for the apostles. We are not writing new books of the Bible. We are going back to what has been revealed in God's Word. And we know the things that have been written, all of them, perfectly, what has been written, the things to come. We know it, right here. We have it. And that doesn't mean that we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is still leading us and guiding us. But what's the central point of all the activity of the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The content of the work of the Holy Spirit of God, the content of it, of him, is the glory of Jesus. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit does not come and glorify you. I have this gift or I have that gift. I believe God has given me gifts that would give me in the in crowd in almost any charismatic or Pentecostal church. I could be in. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come and put people on an A-league and B-league in the Christian faith. Varsity, junior varsity. My team, not my team. Spirit-led, not spirit-led. The Spirit comes and glorifies Jesus. He will not glorify churches who get it. He will glorify Jesus. Rest assured, any person or church who has an elitist mentality or swagger because they really have the Holy Spirit is a walking oxymoron. You want to see somebody with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? It's the lady or the man that's giddy about Jesus. That loves Him. That weeps thinking about the work of Christ on their behalf. That loves Jesus. That as Keith Green said, they're bananas about Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in his book, Joy Unspeakable, it's important to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ said of the Holy Spirit, He shall glorify me. The Holy Spirit has been sent particularly to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and not Himself. The Lord Jesus said that He was sent to glorify the Father, and He did so. He pointed to the Father. He would disappear and they would not be able to find Him. He did not want personal glorification. He had come to glorify the Father. And he says, the Spirit is sent to glorify me. So one of the greatest tests of the work of the Holy Spirit 
is the desire to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit leads people to see how wonderful Jesus and His work is. Where Christ is not being glorified and honored, loved and adored, you can call it the work of the Holy Spirit all you want, but it is not. Do you love Jesus today? I mean, really. Because the Spirit working inside of us, Jesus said it's better that the Spirit would come and glorify me in you, in you, where your thoughts, where your mind, your affections inside of you. It is better that the Holy Spirit would come and glorify Him than if He was standing right here with us. It's better for you. That the Holy Spirit would take a million lumen spotlight and boom, put it on Jesus. And that's better if He was right here with us. Even now, the glory of Jesus, let's consider the glory of Jesus. To talk about the Holy Spirit is incomplete unless we turn our heart and mind to Jesus. Because if this is a Spirit-led sermon, it's going to be a Christ-centered sermon. He will glorify me. He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. Maybe right now, the Holy Spirit is taking what, what is Jesus's. And He's declaring it to you. And I'm going to read to you some of what Christ has done for us. And maybe the Holy Spirit, you've heard this a million times before. I mean a million. Buckle up. Because today may just be the, be, may just be the day the Holy Spirit comes and takes the words I'm about to speak. And you've heard it. And you know it at some level in your heart. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, today's the day. And pulls it down. And fire comes. Where knowledge becomes passion, where the mind and the heart are set ablaze for the glory of God. Consider this, the glory of Jesus. He lived and He died willingly in your place. He lived a perfect life, fulfilling God's law, every single commandment given from Sinai forward. He filled not just the letter of the law, but the heart of the law. Love God. Love others. He did that. He listened to the voice of His Father every moment of every day. He never missed the work of the Holy Spirit. He walked in step with the Holy Spirit every single day from when He was baptized with the Holy Spirit forward. He never disobeyed His parents. He never had an ill thought towards those who hated Him. You know there were liberals and conservatives in Jesus' day as well. See, Terry and I, we, we, we can get annoyed by some of the same groups of people. We won't get into politics, but... You know, Jesus didn't have a wrong thought to anyone. He was right all the time, perfectly holy, perfectly just, and He willingly lived His life, not just died His death in your place. Every moment, the grit and the resolve. He was living for names. He was living for you. You deserved, I deserved, and earned condemnation. Born into a hostile world, hostile to God, me a participant in that hostility. I was His enemy, a child of wrath. 
Not deserving adoption, not deserving justification, not deserving justification, adoption, not deserving any forgiveness, not deserving any, any tender move from God to me, deserving of none, none of that. It would have been perfectly right for me to be separated or burned forever for my sins. Judged, it would have been right. That's what Jared Sparks earned and deserves. And that's what you have earned and deserve. But friends, the story doesn't stop there. Praise God. He did not love you because of you. We can't take any credit for His love. The answer for why you are Christian, forgiven, forgiven, free, it's not found inside of you, but it's found in the very heart of God. The question, why am I a believer? Why am I in Christ? It's found in the heart of a loving God who loved you while you were His enemy. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And He loves you. There is not one sin that you have in your life right now, not one habitual wrong habit that is held against you. Not one your performance this week, or lack thereof, it's not held against you. Just as Leto said, you are a son or a daughter of the living God, and you will be forever. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are seated right now with Him in the heavenly places. There is a dimension of reality that God stands outside of, that you and I are presently in, right now, Philip Workman. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places right now. And He is lavishing His grace upon you. Grace upon grace upon grace upon you, even now. Well, friends, that's glorious. Jesus loved you and He's not ashamed to be called your brother. If He was here, if He was here with us, He would gladly come beside the weakest of us and look right in your eyes. Your eyes may even be bloodshot. And say, hey brother, this is my brother. This is my sister. Not ashamed. Maybe today, the Holy Spirit is guiding you into this truth. Maybe today, it's taking the very passages here that have been revealed in this Word. Maybe the Holy Spirit's working in you, shining a spotlight on Jesus this morning. And I hope that's the case. We're going to sing to Him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank You for Your work in our life. Jesus, thank You for ascending into heaven. Thank You for leaving us so that the Spirit would come. That's mysterious because I will never leave you. <laughs> like you haven't left us and yet you have. I don't know how that works. But Holy Spirit, just lead us even now. If there's anybody that wants to pray, God, if anybody in here doesn't know you, I pray they would repent of their sins and they would trust in you. Convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then for the believer in here, help us turn our attention to you. Thank you that you have spoken to us, that you have never been silent to us, ever. The heavens have never been closed to us. And uh, just help us to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody would like to pray about anything, I'll be up here in the front. You can come pray.